0: Okay, we are starting in the book of Joshua today. <clears throat> so I, I looked over several different books that I could have started on, and I and uh, uh, finally came to to choose Joshua. I love the book of Joshua. I mean, to me, this is this is like such a labor of love that I enjoy preparing for this. I mean, I I, I enjoy preparing for Bible studies and and getting ready for these sort of things, but particularly. In the book of Joshua, it's just an amazing book. So, so we're going to look at some background on on Joshua. His his he is uh, his grandfather was Elishama. Elishama, it's, it says there, there's there's uh, there's two texts, Numbers 110 and one ten and First Chronicles seven twenty six, that talk about uh, Elishama. He was actually the leader of the tribe of Ephraim. So remember that Joshua was one of the people that came out of the land of Egypt, because uh, uh, after they're in the land just for a short amount of time, about two years, just before they enter the promised land, Joshua is 40 years old at that time. So Joshua was a man when they came out of Egypt. So Joshua is from the Egypt generation. His his grandfather, Elishama was the leader of the tribe of Ephraim. So remember, there were actually there were 12 tribes, but one of them got split into two, so there were actually 13. And Elishama was the leader of Ephraim. His son was Nun, N-U-N, or sometimes N-O-N, depending on how it's translated. And then, and then uh, 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 that, uh, that son, his son was then Joshua, but his, his name was actually Hoshea. Hoshia. And if you were to look in Numbers chapter 13, verses 8 and 16, you would see that that's his name. His name is Hoshea, which, which, which means, which, which means uh, um, salvation. So, Hoshea means salvation. So, that was his name. But actually, it was Moses who renamed him. Moses renamed Hoshea to Yehoshua. I'm sorry, Yehoshu. Yehoshu, which which we translate as as uh, Joshua, Yehoshu, and and uh, that means Jehovah's salvation. So Moses actually took his name and extended it, and and it, and now in English it's been translated Joshua. But Yehoshu is is very close to Yeshua. <clears throat> Yeshua is the short version of Yehoshu. Yeshua is Jesus's name. So when you get to heaven you're going to ask, where's Jesus? People don't know what you're talking about. Because this has been been translated through, through Latin and Greek, and that's how we get this name, Jesus. But really, the people of his generation called him Yeshua, which was a shortened name for Yehoshua. Yehoshu. so Jesus' name is really formally Joshua. But uh, uh, if you were to speak to a Messianic Jew, they would, they would often refer, they, they call Jesus Yeshua. They actually don't even don't even enjoy calling him Jesus because they know that's not the name that he went by. He actually went by the name <clears throat> Yeshua. So anyway, that that's his name, <clears throat> and he's actually uh, <clears throat> he's mentioned um, several times in 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 the uh, uh, the writings of Moses. Actually, he's mentioned 27 times. So Joshua is mentioned 27 times. So, Moses wrote five books. Those are the first five books of the Bible. They are often referred to as the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, were written by Moses. Some of them came direct by revelation, like Genesis. Moses wasn't there in that time. So, some of that was direct by revelation. Other, Other other. of it, were, were the the, uh, the writings that had been accumulated and Moses compiled all that, and then then you see the, these wanderings in in, uh, in the book of Exodus, and you see Moses and and and, uh, and and he makes reference to Joshua many times. So, for example, in in Exodus, uh, in Exodus 17, verse 9 is the first reference to to uh, uh, Joshua. And and, uh, uh, he was a a leader in a military battle with Amalek. He was one of the leaders. And so what you see is Moses is preparing Joshua for many years to take over the leadership of Israel. And great leaders groom other great leaders behind them. That's what great leaders do. They don't just just die and then have no leadership. We read about Alexander the Great when we were studying Daniel. Alexander the Great had no succession of leadership after him. And it was a real mess after him where his generals took over after many years of conflict. And then Exodus 24:13 13, the <clears throat> is that he went up with Moses on Mount Sinai. No one was allowed up with Moses on Mount Sinai, but Joshua, <clears throat> the servant or the minister to Moses, because Moses at this time is, is uh, in his 80s, uh, when he first going up to Mount Sinai, and so he had this younger attendant, the younger attendant being about 40 years old, uh, or late 30s or 40 years old. And then then uh, he met Moses in Exodus 32.6 when he came down from Mount Sinai in another event. In Exodus 33.1, Moses would go into the tabernacle and spend long periods of time in prayer. And he would leave, and Joshua wouldn't leave. He'd continue praying. I mean this young guy just loved prayer. This is why Moses could commit the nation of Israel to this guy who was a very godly young man or 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 in your perspective a middle-aged man. Um uh, in, in in uh in Numbers 11:28 he was jealous for Moses. So he comes running up to Moses and he says, there's some people prophesying in the camp. Stop them. And Moses said, he said I wish they were all prophets. <clears throat> And this has happened to me, and I've, I've quoted this verse, Numbers 11:28, on several occasions to young people. Well, they'll come to me and they'll say, "Oh, you know, there's there's some students on the on, on the campus that are prophesying over other students. Don't you think that they're they're not mature enough to be doing this?" And I quote to them, Numbers 11:28. I wish they were all prophets. <laughs> and and uh, um, Numbers 13 and 14. He's one of the 12 spies that is sent by Moses into the land. And, and only he and Caleb brought back a good report. And so they are the only two of the Exodus generation, of those that exited Egypt, to end up going into the promised land. In Numbers 27, verse 18, it talks about the ordination of Joshua to succeed Moses. Numbers 32:11, verse 11, uh, uh, only he and Caleb were promised to enter into the land. Uh, numbers 34.17, it said that Joshua would be the one that was going to be dividing the land. And this is all quotes from the first five books of Moses. So before you ever hit Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible, all of this is written about Joshua. In Deuteronomy one thirty eight, it says again, he will divide the land. Deuteronomy one seven and 8 is the final charge of Moses to Joshua, where he's leaving with him with the last instruction. And in Deuteronomy 34.9, he's again charged. And so, let's turn to Joshua chapter 1. So, that, that's sort of a background here. And, uh, um, uh, and, and let, me, let, me, let me give you a, a, some more background, because as we just start a book, we want to understand the context of the time. We want to understand what's really happening in this book. And so, um, who is the author? Who is the author of the book of Joshua? Well, we know from several texts that it was an eyewitness. And in, 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 in uh, 5.1, if you look at literal translations, it talks about, and we were in this situation. In 5.6, us. He had us pass through. And so, we can tell the writer is one of the people among them. So, there are these little clues that are dropped in that the writer of the book of Joshua is an eyewitness to the things that were taking place. You say, well, duh, isn't that always the writers? No. A lot of times it's people that are accumulating facts after the events. So, for example, the the gospel according to Luke, is he interviewed eyewitnesses and he compiled the gospel according to Luke. This was an eyewitness. We know from certain passages. In, in, In Joshua 24, 26, it says, Joshua wrote that certain section. So it is believed that actually many believe that it was Joshua himself that wrote the book of Joshua. All we know that it it was an eyewitness because of certain references to we and us as they're writing. But we know that it was not written in real time, meaning that the events were not written in real time, but it had to have been written in that day. So for example, there's a reference to, to Rahab the harlot, and it says, and she, because she is the one that, that was saved out of uh, uh, Jericho, and we will read about that, and it says, and she's still among us to this day. So you see, that is the clue then, that this is written in that generation, but not in the real time of then. It's like if something happened last week and I'm writing about it today, you say, oh no, that's too long, I mean, you've forgotten too much. What are you talking about? I can remember stuff from last week. It's okay. So, he is talking about how she lived, li- lived among us to this day. And you see these clues dropped in. And so, this is what scholars look at when they're trying to figure this out. When you study the Bible, when you study the Bible, I guarantee you, there is nothing that you have seen in the Bible that other people have not noticed before you. Now, it's really nice to say, wow, look what I found. Whoa. Trust me. Others have found that. There are people that have taken years of their lives to study a chapter in the Bible and really figure this out. Now, it is true that God can speak to you something that's fresh to your life, no doubt. And He might speak something that speaks into a position in your life. But when it comes to theology and the understanding of the times, the Jews for thousands of years have been staring at these texts for for like 4,000 years. 3,500 years. Christians have been staring at these texts for over 2,000 years. So you've got to give them a little credit. I mean, they're, they're able to, to see a thing or two in this. And so you, you see these things going on. So let me, let me pull out my glasses so I can see what I've written more clearly. So it says, so some people think that possibly Phineas wrote portions of the Bible because he was high priest in that day because there's portions in Joshua that were written after Joshua's death that talk about where he was buried, how he was buried. Joshua couldn't have written that. So, so, so some think that, that that Phineas filled in on that. Okay, so as far as the date, we, we know... This is what the scholars have picked out. So it was by eyewitnesses from that chapters 5, verses 1 and 6, but also it speaks of... of uh, uh, it says the Canaanites were still in control of Gezer, so we know it had to be, be- written before the time of Solomon. It says that the Jebusites were still in control of Jerusalem, so we know it had to be written before the time of David. You see, these are all the clues that it gives the scholars uh, this understanding. When it says that Rahab is living among us and she is still to this day, then it had to be written actually in the Joshua generation. Uh, many Canaanite names are used for cities that na- then later had Jewish names. So we, we know it was, um, again, it talks about Sidon being the capital of Phoenicia. Well, later on, it became Tyre. So we know it had to be before the time when Tyre became the capital, when Sidon was still the capital. And uh, this expression, unto this day, is found ten times in the book of Joshua, meaning that it's written contemporary with the people that lived. So all of this put together dates this book to about 1390 B.C. So that's that's the date of the book, 1390 B.C. So as far as uh, 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 the history of it, God had commanded the total annihilation of the Canaanites. Everyone living in that land was slated to die. And in fact, God had waited hundreds of years for the Canaanites to turn, and they didn't. There's references in the Bible when he says that the sin of the Canaanites is still not yet complete. In other words, he was giving them time to repent, repent, repent. It turned out that that their religion was focused on fertility, sex, idolatry, child sacrifice, and temple prostitution. And this would have corrupted the Israelites, so he was going to have them wiped out. If that bothers you, hey, look, I'm just, I'm just saying what the Word of God says. You're going to have to take this up with God, all right? If, 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 if you don't like, you know, what He has to say, or if you feel that it's not a safe space to read the Bible, you take this up with God, okay? It's, it's pretty tough stuff there. I mean, this is, this is strong history. Um, the same writing style is used throughout the book, except in three portions. Verse 15, 13 through 19, on the, on the conquest of, of, of a certain land by Othniel. The migration of the tribe of Dan, verse chapter 19, verse 47. And the death of Joshua, 24, verse 29 through 33. So it's natural that that third one will not be written by Joshua himself. And those other two portions look like They were inserted at a different time just because of the writing style. This is how good the scholars are in in figuring this stuff out. There's five divisions in the book. I'm sorry, four divisions. Chapter 1 through 5 talks about their entrance into the land. Chapters 5 through 12, the conquest of the land. Chapter 13 through 21, the division of the land. And chapter 22 through 24 is, is the farewell address. There's the doctrine of Scripture and and. What it is, the, the, the underlying doctrine here is meditation on the scripture is, is uh, and it talks about meditation on the law, meditation on the books that Moses wrote. So at this point, in Joshua chapter 1, at this point, there's only the, the Pentateuch, only the first five books. So it says you are to meditate on scripture. What's it referring to? It's referring to the first five books. There was nothing else. But it's interesting, there's no appeal to meditate or to study or to follow oral tradition. And there's no appeal uh, uh, given to, to, uh, um, to the customs, to the local customs of that day, following the customs of that day. And this is really important, not to most Gentiles, but it's important to the Jew. And the reason it's important to the Jew is because if you look at modern Judaism today, Every so much of it is going by the rules of the oral tradition of what they say was the oral tradition dating from Moses, that was then inscribed in the Talmud and the Mishnah, that has all of these writings of the rabbis, and that's what they follow, and plus going by, by uh, the traditions the local traditions of the day of the Jewish people. You go to Israel, you see lots of people dressed in different ways. Some people wear this kind of outfit, another people wear that kind of outfit, and you say, why are they wearing that kind of outfit? Well, that dates back to such and such rabbi who said you should dress that way. And now for hundreds of years, that sect dresses that way. And so there's no appeal to that. There is an appeal in the book of Joshua to go back to the books and study the books of Scripture and obey it. That's important for us to realize what we should be studying. Theology. Here's the theology, the essence of the theology. God's existence is assumed. God's holiness and judgment. If Israel Israel goes contrary to holiness, God will judge them like He judged the Canaanites. It's very clear. He communicates to Joshua just as He did to Moses. God performs miracles and He controls nature. God rewards obedience and He punishes disobedience. That has not changed. God is God of Israel and the entire earth. And a holy war is total annihilation as with the Canaanites. Uh, There's a doctrine of salvation. He saves, for the first time, He saves Gentiles. Rahab is a Gentile and she becomes the great-grandmother of David, King David. Rahab is the great-grandmother of King David. It shows the outreach of God to the Gentiles. Its Faith leads to obedience and obedience to blessing. Victory comes through faith in God and obedience to Him. This is how victory comes, through faith in God and obedience to Him. They have three campaigns in conquering the land. In those three campaigns, they defeated 30 armies, 10 to 1. Uh, Spiritual strength comes through Scripture meditation. That is what the Scriptures speak of in this book. There's a doctrine of sin. One sin, one person's sin can affect the entire community. And there is also this Karem curse, which is the total annihilation. So, so, um, so now let's move into the book. So that's the background. So I gave you the background. And now let's look into this book. It is an amazing book. I love this book. Um, so much of this book has become, for me, a source of meditation over the years, meaning I've committed it to memory. I love this book. It says, so let's look at Joshua chapter 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Three times in this book, it talks about servant. Servant. It says, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now, in fact, when it says Moses, the servant of the Lord, that word is Ebed Adonai. Ebed Adonai, servant of the Lord. That servant of Joshua being the servant of Moses, many, many other Bibles don't use the same word again, and it's better actually not to use the same word again. Sometimes they use minister to Moses. Because remember, Joshua was a minister to Moses. Joshua was his aide. Joshua would serve him. But that word is mesharet, mesharet, or meaning minister. It's interesting that Joshua is never referred to as Ebed Adonai, God's servant. He is never referred to as God's servant until his death. In the end of the book of Joshua, the first reference to him being Ebed Adonai is when he's completed the task that God had for him. So you see this distinguishing... But this thing of servanthood, I'll tell you, many other cultures don't understand it. So if I say sometimes to an international student, oh, that that student is is a real servant. They look at me like, you're calling them a servant? In Christianity, we understand that servanthood is something that's held high. Servanthood is held high. Let's look in, in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. So, so we, we really touch on this servanthood because this is a tremendous, way, a, a tremendous way to get blessing in your life. Tremendous way to get blessing in your life. So if you look at, at, at Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to look down at verse 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that, uh, by the way, the sons of Zebedee are James and John. So two of the apostles, James and John. The mother of the son of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. Okay, so this is the mother of, of James and John. She comes with James and John. So this is a Jewish mother. all right. So you got this Jewish mother coming with her two sons, and they're probably like, Mom, don't do this to us. What's the matter? He's a man of God. Just ask him. He always says ask so that you could receive. Ask him. Ask him. You know, you could just see her doing this. Just pushing them forward. Mom. Pushing them forward. And so Jesus said, What is it you want? And the, the boys aren't speaking up. And she says to him, commanded in 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 your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. What's wrong with that? That's what a Jewish mother's going to do. Shireen does this. <laughs> Shireen is always working behind the scenes to to make things happen for her children. So she wanted when when, when she wanted my oldest daughter to to get into Weiss College because Weiss was brand new at that point. It was it was just built. It was a brand new college. A lot of the other colleges at that point were old and run down. They hadn't been remodeled. And so so uh and, and, and the whole the, the ones on the on the northern part of the campus weren't even yet built except for one old run down one. But but um so she wanted them in there. I said, I have nothing I can't get her into a particular college, so what does she do? She calls the president's office. And she, my daughter ends up in Weiss College. So, so mothers do this type of thing. So she, she was pushing these boys forward, and she says, I want them to be sitting right here. And, and Jesus said, you, know, you don't know what you're asking. And then he says to them, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And what he's talking about is the cup of suffering. And they said, we can. Whether they understood it or not, we don't know. But James was actually going to be martyred. He was going to be martyred. The first, he was going to be the first of the apostles that was going to be martyred, and then John was going to be the one that was going to die, that was banished to the island of Patmos. But they were going to suffer. Indeed, they were. But in verse 24, the other disciples are witnessing this, and look what look what happens. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the ten see this, and they're like, what's with you guys? You guys are trying to be over us and asking him to... It's not us, it's our mom. Oh, okay. Moms do this type of thing. And Jesus says to them, you know, the Gentiles, you you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the great men exercise authority over them. He says, in the world, this is what happens. People are trying to just push their way into things. He says, let me tell you how how to prosper in this world. He says, if you want to be great you shall become a servant. And whoever wants to be first shall be a slave. The whole context is servanthood. If you learn how to serve the other. When you get a job, what you want to do is you want to learn how to serve your boss. You really do. Learn how to serve your boss. You get into the secular world, you learn how to serve your boss. We serve one another, you learn how to serve your boss. You learn how to... Take care. If if your boss likes things certain ways, do it that way. You know, just get things set up the way he or she wants. You serve the boss and you will be brought up. You learn to serve one another. The greatest place that you can have. Jesus said, you want to bring up your career, you learn to be a servant. If you want to be greatest, you learn to be a slave. This is what he teaches us. This is so antithetical to the world. The world does not teach this. Jesus teaches this. He says the Gentiles lord it over one another and they try to push people down and become ruler. He says you will become in charge by learning how to be a servant. That should be your motivation. So let's turn back to to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. And that's underscored three times in one verse. This idea of being a servant. The, the, this Ebed Adonai, the servant of the Lord. Moses was servant of the Lord. He did what the Lord wanted. You want to excel in life? Be servant of the Lord. Joshua was a servant to Moses. Joshua was brought up. Joshua served Moses and he was brought up. This is the pattern we see right here. Servant of the Lord. He says... He, he, So the Lord spoke to Joshua. This is important. So it says, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua. This is huge. The Lord only spoke to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses. Now the Lord speaks to Joshua. This is huge. What he did with Moses, he's saying, I'm going to do with you now, Joshua. I'm going to speak to you. The Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant. How does it categorize Joshua? He was a great great leader. He was a great leader who had won a battle against Amalek. It didn't say, The Lord spoke to Joshua the great general. Didn't say that. Joshua was one of the only spies who went into the land, one of two spies only ones that came back and brought back a good report. He didn't say Joshua, the great general who brought back a good report. He says Joshua, the servant of Moses. That's how he characterized him. What was really, pointing out, what was really pointed to God's eye was the servanthood. Not your great accomplishments on earth, but your servanthood. This is why you're here, Joshua. Because you served Moses as Moses served me. This is why you're here. You want to be brought up in the world? Learn to be a servant. Or you can be like a, general, a Gentile and try to fight your way up. Or you can serve the Lord and He will make a name for you. Moses, the servant, saying... Uh, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Well, duh, don't I know that? <clears throat> Moses died in, 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 uh, in the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and we just spent the last 30 days mourning for him. So they had a 30-day period of mourning, which was traditional for great people. A 30-day period of mourning. And so now he said, God says to him, Moses, my servant, is dead. Why would he say that? Does Joshua not know that? No, he's trying to say, it's enough. He's dead. You've had your mourning. You've got to move on. We will all lose loved ones. And there is a period of mourning which is natural. But at some point, we need to say, they are gone. We are moving on. We are moving on. The blessed hope that we have, remember as we read in the end of the book of Daniel, is that there is a resurrection. When we die, immediately, if that person knows the Lord, their spirit is with God. And as far as children, Jesus said, the kingdom of God belongs to one such as these. When they're children, it goes with God. The Spirit goes with God. And one day, God will fashion a new flesh, a new body around that information. He'll put new matter around that information. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. You've got to move on now. I remember when Rick Smalley, the great Nobel Prize winner at Rice... I mean, we just we just all enjoyed having Rick Smalley around because he would bring in lots of grant money. He could go and appeal to the administration. And, you know, he he went to the the president, even told me this when when, uh, President Lieberman first came to Rice. Rick Smalley was in his office and he said, we need to hire 100 faculty who do nanotechnology. Imagine the statement that that will make to the world. I mean, 100 faculty was a fifth the size of all the faculty on campus. But I'm just showing you, that's the boldness of the man. He'd come in and ask for 100 new hiring lines. I mean, we'll sheepishly go and ask, could we maybe have one in a few years? (laughs) I mean, this guy would go in and ask for 100. So we all enjoyed having him around. But then when he passed away, it was like, we're all looking at each other. What are we going to do now? I mean, who's going to fight the administration to get all the stuff that we want? Who's going to go and pound on Congress to give us more money at Rice and do all these things? But after what, Rick Smalley is dead. You've got to move on now. This is what he's saying. Most, everybody looks to Moses. Moses, my servant. Mo- Moses, my servant, is dead. God was affected by this too. He says, Moses... My servant is dead. Now you've got to move on. Moses, my servant is dead. Now you're going to start moving up into this role. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. He said, you are to arise and go and take this land that I am giving to you. The whole concept which we will study next time is I am giving you a land but you've got to take it. God will open up careers for you if you honor Him. But you've got to work in those careers. There is no sitting back and drinking iced tea and God just dropping stuff on your lap. He will open doors, but it is a lot of work to take it. Alright? <clears throat> you've got to open that door and you've got to take it. And these are the things that He has called us to. To be able to go forth in that way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Abba Father, I thank You so much for Your mercies upon us. And Lord, I pray that You would take these young people and You will so ingrain upon their hearts to be servants. That they would learn to be servants so that they could be great in Your kingdom. And that some of them could even be the greatest because they would be the biggest of servants, like even slaves serving others. Father, I pray that you would touch these young people with a servant-like attitude. That they would learn to pick up things and do things. Come early, stay late. Clean when no one else would clean. Do things that others just wouldn't normally do. Father, I pray that you'd give them a servant heart. And that you would see their heart of a servant and so reward them as your word has said. Father, I pray that you would reward them in life through servanthood. May the grace of God be showered upon them. Lord, protect them. Protect them in their young lives, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.